Future Sense is a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Hosted by Nick Jeans and well-known international futurist Steve McDonald, Future Sense provides a fresh, deep analysis of global trends and emergent technologies. How can we identify the layers of growth personally, socially, and globally? What are the signs missed, the truths being denied? Science, history, politics, psychology, ancient civilizations, alien contact, the new psychedelic revolution, cryptocurrency, and other disruptive and distributed technologies, and much more. This is Future Sense. So we're going to tell you, get on now and talk about, I guess, what you could call second-tier hacks of this change, navigating this change process, mm. crossing that rapidly flowing river, playing, knowing the currents. And it's important to understand, just uh, extending on what Nick said, that people don't change just because you tell them to. People have to go through their own change dynamic. It's not a rational decision. You know, People just don't wake up one morning and say, all oh, these folks have been saying this, so I might just change and like that as well mm. you know the, the process of shifting our values and our worldview is a, is a process of deep adaptation that happens in our subconscious so it's invisible uh, it's something that we can't know by definition and uh, if once we understand the patterns of change we under, understand how this transformation process process works we can start to recognize the patterns in us as we start to change although we, we still don't uh, have necessarily any conscious control over that change process, we can at least know the terrain that we're navigating and it becomes a lot easier once we can recognize that. Yeah, I mean, uh, clearly sometimes uh, change can happen radically and in, in a moment for one reason or it other. It can, yeah. Uh, an aha moment, an inspiration, um, some kind of uh, uh, experience beyond the normal paradigms of, of one's uh, one's life. Yeah, what you're talking about there is the tipping point. You mm. know, the, the process of change is a long process that starts usually before we notice it. Yeah, right. You know, when we get yeah. the earliest inklings of uh, something is just a little uncomfortable, but I don't know what it is, you know, that's, that's typically the first response. Mm. And most people don't typically recognize that as a change process underway they just feel uncomfortable mm. uh, but once we understand the terrain and what we go through then when we feel that oh something doesn't quil- feel quite right mm. then we if we understand the pattern of change we can recognize that okay something in my environment mm. is is telling me calling out a change process mm. and then you know we can start to work with that once we become conscious of it yeah, of course, and that in the the current um, growing paradigm of green layer six before the the second tier we're going to be talking about now, uh, there is there is the tendency, of course, naturally in that process for people to look inside to find ways to to figure out what is this feeling I've got, what is this uh, impulse I have, what is this change that seems to come that I don't understand, and yeah. so seek out groups or organisations or therapy or perhaps uh, we talk about often psychedelics and new psychedelic revolution, revolution, things like that, in order to somehow stimulate or access that point that they that they feel in themselves that something is happening. Yeah, exactly. And we have to go through that refinement process to build a solid foundation mm. for this big leap, the momentous leap, as Claire Grace called mm. it, into second tier. You know, we have to have that solid foundation and that quite refined capacity to sense and understand our own change processes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, I was talking in the first part of the show about the analogy of a rapidly flowing river and, and the change process requiring us to jump into the river. And, uh, and typically in the first tier of consciousness, we're not aware of the currents. We're not aware of the patterns of change. We don't know what to expect in terms of our emotional response and, uh, and the fact that we have to let go of our 
anchor points for our values and those sorts of things. And this is one of the, the key things that shifts as we move into second tier. So we're going to talk now about the second tier experience of change and how it can be so different to the first tier experience. Uh, and um, one of the, the key aspects of that is the our improved capacity for pattern recognition. So we get overwhelmed in first tier and, and often we experience this overwhelm at the tail end of our navigation of the scientific industrial way of being human where there's so much information available to us as a result largely of our technology we just cannot analyze all of that data we can't even become aware of all the data it's just an absolute overload and so we have to switch into uh, a way of recognizing patterns where we don't have to look at each individual piece of data but we can look much more broadly and see a pattern of movement within the data mm. Uh, and, and of course, you know, science has uh, come to that point where it's not presenting us with, you know, millions of pieces of data, but it's giving us a graph that shows overall trends and those sorts of things. But as with all things in the scientific industrial era, uh, often those things are manipulated and changed in order to get outcomes that individuals want rather than being a true representation of the genuine trend that we see mm. so uh, there are traps but in second tier uh, we we have a much more sophisticated way of sensing this kind of um, pattern uh, that that's you know speaking to us uh, during the change process and it, using the river analogy you, you could say that that's a capacity to just look at the river and immediately see where all the currents are flowing mm. so I guess it's like a, an, an extra sensory perception mm that sees what we couldn't see previously. And once we can see those big patterns, then the pathway ahead is you know, much more clear to us. I mean, if we know where the currents are in the river, then we can go to the point in the river where we know the currents are favorable and we can jump right in and get carried along by the currents with minimal effort. Mm. And this is a, a, a big characteristic of second tier. Mm. Uh, ways of working with change is actually going with the flow in a way that requires uh, the least effort and that works the best. And again, it's it's paradoxical because, of course, to some degree, you've got to draw out from your personal direct experience of life. You've got to sit on the bank of that river and not be carried away. Uh, and using that metaphor, or as they often say, of course, being able to see the forest for the trees, taking yeah. that perspective. And there is a detachment there. And sometimes I think that can feel for many people as if you're not actually uh, engaged em empathetically with life. And that can feel odd i think in a way but there's a there's a balance there because it's not it's not detaching completely but it is actually being able to see the bigger picture see the bigger uh, movements within the river yeah and that it's a very good observation and and that what you said about it looking like a bit of a cold re reaction or response from yep. other people is, is a typical first tier perspective of second tier and it, it really is rooted in the fact that in second tier there's a massive reduction in fear and fear is no longer a major driver whereas in first tier uh, value systems fear is an absolute major driver and often we're acting in various ways out of fear rather than uh, you know some higher level of perception and of course in this last gasp of uh, the, the current paradigm that's been dominating for a long time fear is being used absolutely in every possible way and in my opinion as a, as a last ditch attempt to hang on to power because it is such a drive and it, it people will still most people on the planet will still respond to fear to one degree or other and be compelled or impelled to, in one direction or another with that Exactly, and it's one of the key indicators of the transition into second yeah. tier is that falling away of fear as mm. a major motivator. 
Uh, and as you said, you know, for somebody who's still very much driven by fear, seeing someone who's fearless can be a frightening thing mm. uh, because the, the, the obvious assumption there is that, okay, this guy's not feeling what I'm feeling. There some, must be something wrong with him, right? Uh, and, and as you say, and often that they, people can be labelled as cold and unfeeling. Yeah. But it's just not the case. It's just that the fear is just not a major motivator. Um, and I'd be really interested to hear of any research, if anyone's aware mm. out there in, uh, in listener world, if you're listening to the podcast later, uh, if you're aware of anybody who's reaching, uh, who, sorry, who's researching neurological correlates for this reduction in fear that comes with second tier transition. Well, uh, we, mm, go uh, yeah, because it, it must show up, uh, logically it must mm. show up in our biochemistry and our neural networking and the operation of our, our things like our default mode network, mm. uh, I'm sure. But um, second-tier consciousness isn't really on the radar of, of mainstream science mm. yet, so it's, it's still a very much a fringe area. But I guess we mentioned the word gratitude earlier, and we'll yeah. come back to that now because clearly in order to... Uh, in, within yourself find perhaps a better place a better posture to uh, look at that river to move remove yourself out of the of the swirling eddies and have a look at the river there are certain uh, qualities that one can practice and adopt that uh, seem to have neurobiological components which are supportive of a, of a bigger picture and gratitude perhaps is one of those yeah definitely and this is very much an emerging field yeah. uh, from a from a sort of grounded science point of view mm. uh, there's some wonderful research being done by the heart math institute they've been leaders in this kind of stuff and, yes. and still are in many respects uh, and it's a we're talking here about a, a whole body transformation that happens in the transition from first tier to second tier uh, and I guess you could say that of all of the, the major shifts between layers of consciousness as we go through these transformations, we are reconfigured uh, in a whole uh, being sense. You know, not our things like our neurochemistry, our neural networking, our subtle energy fields and those sorts of things change with these transformations because there's an underlying change in our framework for interfacing with reality. Yeah. Uh, and again, you know, this is fringe stuff. It's not really uh, been mapped well from a, a mainstream science point of view at all. But it's also true, for example, UCLA's Mindfulness Awareness Research Centre. It's another one of these centres which, yes, it's it's out there on the fringe, but it is it is housed in a, an authentic university. But they say having an attitude of gratitude changes the molecular structure of the brain and keeps grey matter functioning and makes us healthier and happier. When you feel happiness, the central nervous system is affected, you are more peaceful, less reactive, and less resistant. Now that's really a cool way of taking care of your well-being. So it says, uh, the thing is, of course, for many people, that'll be challenging because uh, people want to take action now. People want to, people feel angry. People feel like they need to do something in order to, to make a change on, in the world. So I think it's not really either or, is it? I mean, there's a, it's a transition between the two somehow. Yes, you can have your strong response to what's going on in the world and want to make a change, but perhaps your attitude of mind inside yourself, to yourself, with yourself, and thus outside can actually enhance and perhaps bring forward uh, a, a different response of looking at the river and perhaps better solutions in the long term. Yeah, it, an interesting question is if somebody becomes educated in what changes inside them as we go through this transition and understands that, okay, there are changes here and we'll, we'll uh, post on Twitter and Facebook a link to this article that we're quoting, which is from collectiveevolution.com mm. and, and has references to the, the sources for the science also. Yeah. Uh, and the science is saying that uh, people who express gratitude on an ongoing basis show greater neural sensitivity in the medial prefrontal cortex. Yeah. 
uh, a brain area associated with learning and decision making, and and the uh, the frontal cor- prefrontal cortex also uh, is implicated in the moderation of fear responses as well. So again, yeah. there would be some uh, correlates here with that massive reduction in fear, uh, and f- reduction of fear as a major driver. Um, and uh, you know, I look forward to to the science really becoming more complete and more readily available around this stuff. Indeed, uh, and. Um, also, uh, the, from that same article, they're saying here that uh, it's it's this work has proven the research has proven that when a person is feeling really positive emotions, like uh, gratitude, love, appreciation, the heart starts to beat out a different message. So there's a change in our our heart signature, the energetic signature of the heart, uh, and which also, of course, determines what kind of signals are being sent to the brain from the heart. Yeah. And uh, and we're learning that. The, the brain responds to the heart. You know, I think we've many of us have grown up with this um, education around the the brain being the in charge of everything. You know, and, and everything's controlled by the brain. But in fact, that's that's uh, this recent science is changing our, our perspective on that. And and I must say that Chinese medicine for for a long long time has regarded the heart as the emperor of the body. Yeah, right. Yes, so yes, yes. so you know there is some wisdom hidden right there. It's been indeed a long time. Yes, and of course the, the the very new area too of work on the gut and the gut biome is another aspect of that, and, and de, uh, taking the brain off the throne, so to speak, and going not just the heart but also the gut itself, which generates about ninety percent of our serotonin, for example. If that's in good condition, then you're also enabling your neurochemistry to have a a more uh, integra- integrated um, beingness within yourself. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, there's a there's some quotes here from uh, Roland McCready, PhD, who's director of research at HeartMath, which I might just uh, read out. Yeah. And he's talking here about the change in the heart signature that comes from these feelings of gratitude and love. And he says emotional information is actually coded and modulated into these fields. And he's talking about the the electromagnetic field produced by the heart. By learning to shift our emotions, we are changing the information coded into the magnetic fields that are radiated by the heart and that can impact those around us. We are fundamentally and deeply connected with each other and the planet itself. And although that might sound like a fluffy new age kind of a statement, uh, these guys are doing a lot of research around the planet's resonant frequencies and particularly as expressed by things like the Schumann resonance and how our own radiated frequencies interact with, adapt to, are influenced by and are influencing those planetary fields mm. so it's it's really is leading edge stuff and very very interesting yeah so later on in the article it uh, speaks about every individual's energy affects the collective field environment this means that each person's emotions and intentions generate an energy that affects the field and this is this is powerful stuff if you really take this on uh, i think and we see this clearly when a bunch of people get together in any way uh, obviously the energy affects the collective field but if that energy has uh, this kind of uh, gratitude, heartfelt, deeper, uh, loving response. And yes, it does sound a bit fluffy and so forth, but feel it because you've probably experienced this one way or the other, either individually or in group situations, where things can literally and magically even transform in a moment just by those that attitude, that coherence, a heart coherence in the field, in yeah. yourself and with those who you are around with at the time. Yeah, and uh, Roland McCready is quoted here talking about that heart coherence. Mm. He says, one important way the heart can speak to and influence the brain is when the heart is coherent, and that means experiencing stable sine wave-like patterns in its rhythms. 
And when the heart is coherent, the body, including the brain, begins to experience all sorts of benefits. Among them are a greater mental clarity and ability, including better decision-making. And all of my personal experience and my study of Claire Graves' work is pointing to the fact that this is a developmental uh, aspect of human nature. So it's it's not that you can just grab anybody anywhere and uh, put them into heart coherence and that they'll all be experiencing the same thing. It really does depend on where you are at in terms of your growth, your own progress development and your energetic configuration. And there will be some people who are, who are more liable to very quickly you know, move into this particular way of being and coherence than others and again all of that links back to our life conditions so the complexity of our life conditions and the degree to which and the speed at which we have adapted to fit those life conditions then determines you know where we're at in terms of our readiness to step into this kind of coherent uh, way of being so so life conditions are the key and and that what that tells us is from a second tier perspective is that if we want to support change in the world then one of the most effective ways we can do that is by looking at the life conditions of the people that we want to support and helping improve those life conditions, which in turn allows them to adapt in different ways. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, very simply put, if you're struggling just to uh, just to stay alive, just to put food on the table and just to have a roof over your heads like a very large number of people on the planet still are, uh, you don't have a lot of time for larger existential thinking about uh, about everything. Um, We do have uh, a question that's come in and we we don't have time to go into depth uh, of this, but maybe you can uh, uh, truncate it as a challenge for you, Steve. Uh, Can you please explain what the second tier is? Oh, sure, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So second tier is a term that came out of the research of Claire W. Graves, who did a whole bunch of uh, data gathering over about nine years on 1,065 people. And then all of the data he collected, he distributed to a, a group of seven peers as well as working on it himself and asked them to look for patterns in the data and and out of roughly around about 20 years of analysis after the the data was collected he managed to organize uh, the subjects in his his study into a progressive Mm. uh, process of personal growth where these people were were adapting and behaving and demonstrating different values in a stepped sequence Mm. that went from most simple to most complex and he found that this growth that happens to us as we move through the first tier and into second tier um, is is an absolutely uh, natural process but it requires the triggering of our life conditions for us to be able to to adapt to different levels of complexity Mm. Uh, and he also identified the change dynamics so what we experience when we go through the changes in between each one each one of those steps and the layers that of consciousness that he identified were nested inside each other so kind of like those russian russian mm. dolls where you know one gets put over the top of another over the top of another and so you build a complex uh, layer or layered sequence of capacities so each one is not necessarily an individual thing they're not things that we move between but they're layers of capacity mm. that we add uh, and as we add further layers, our capacity to cope with complexity increases mm. and our capacity to perceive things increases. And the, the most significant change in this sequence that he identified was between the sixth layer and the seventh layer. And it was such a massive change, he realized we were moving from one category of being into a different category of being. And so that's where those labels first tier, second tier mm. came from. And, and second tier consciousness equates to 
what many people have been talking about for thousands of years, this massive shift in human consciousness, which has been predicted by lots of ancient civilizations yeah. and is, is all uh, the, the, uh, the, the focus of uh, you know, the new uh, age movement. Yeah, and, I mean, the age uh, of Aquarius is one example. One term you could say was applied to that, uh, that process and analysis. And, and, and of course, these things come, uh, they, they evolve themselves. So earlier iterations are, you could say, more naive, uh, it's even simplistic, and yeah. as, as we get more complex, and the the configurations of these become uh, more complex themselves. Yeah, exactly. So what we're doing on this show is trying to uh, sort of provide some grounded scientific uh, context to this big shift that's going on, and help us understand it better. And not only that, but but by understanding human nature better, uh, help us to to navigate our personal change and the global changes that we're facing in a in a more effective and smooth way than we could otherwise. Indeed. You're tuned to Future Sense with Nick Jeans and Steve McDonald. Engage, emerge, activate, and spiral up. Yes, it's uh, 10.41 here on Future Sense, and we're talking today about, well, we're talking about... Um, what are we talking about? I've lost track. Yeah. <laughs> no, <I'm> kidding. <laughs> I've been sitting by the bank of the yeah. river watching the river flow, and I've just lost myself. Let me, let me take over. <laughs> so we're talking about uh, the process of change, and specifically now we're talking about second-tier hacks and how, from a second-tier perspective, uh, second-tier consciousness, that is, uh, we can experience change very, very differently. And one of the key aspects that we've covered so far is understanding large-scale patterns and the pattern of the change process itself. And in the first part of today's show, we went through that change pattern and particularly the emotional experiences as well yeah. uh, that come with navigating that change process. And it's like anything, if you have a map and you know the terrain and you know what to expect, then it becomes much, much easier to navigate. Yeah. And um, and that, you know, this process is really something that unfolds during the sixth layer of consciousness. So the last layer that we go through in the preparation for the big shift into second tier and then uh, once once we get into second tier it's just a different ball game completely and we've been talking about uh, some research from the heart math institute uh, looking at the impact of feelings of gratitude and love and how they change our body uh, and uh, there's evidence from their recent research of changes to the uh, prefrontal cortex uh, which which may also be associated with this big reduction in fear which comes with the second tier transition mm. and also changes to our heart frequency uh, and um, I've we've got some quotes here from Roland McCready who's the director of research at heart math and I, we've been reading through some of those uh, and uh, I might just read a little bit more because it's really interesting stuff mm. Um, Roland says, research findings have shown that as we practice heart coherence and radiate love and compassion, our heart generates a coherent electromagnetic wave into the local field environment that facilitates social coherence, whether in the home, workplace, classroom or sitting around a table. As more individuals radiate their heart coherence, it builds an energetic field that makes it easier for others to connect with the heart. So theoretically, it's possible that enough people building individual and social coherence could actually contribute to an unfolding global coherence. And as part of their research, uh, these guys at the HeartMath Institute are interfacing with, like I said, um, you know, readings of uh, the Schumann resonance, which is the, the Earth's background resonant frequency, and also the um, global coherence um, research, which is was, is based out of Princeton University, where yes. they've got random number generators stuff. around the world and yeah. they're looking at changes in the randomness of the numbers that they're generating 
and looking for correlations with large-scale human experience, uh, you know, significant events that impact us emotionally and how it impacts uh, that, that whole field around the world. And while, again, this is very, very early-stage research and, 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 you know, would be seen as fringe by most mainstream scientists, probably what they're tapping into here is that there is something going on in terms of large-scale correlations. And, yeah. uh, you know, if you flick across to quantum mechanics and you think about the observer yeah. effect in quantum mechanics and the fact that our presence, our consciousness observing, uh, you know, a particle at, at uh, the quantum level somehow changes its behavior. Yeah, yeah um, from the same article, a study done uh, in the 1980s during the Israel-Lebanon war, uh, from two Harvard University professors organized groups of experienced meditators in Jerusalem, Yugoslavia, and the United States and asked them to focus their attention on the area of conflict at various intervals over a 27-month period. So significant. Over the course of the study, the levels of violence in Lebanon decreased between 40 and 80% each time a meditating group was in place. The average number of people killed during the war each day dropped from 12 to 3, and war-related injuries fell by 70%. And that's a radical claim. But it's exactly what we're talking about here. It is, and, and we're talking about radical things. We're mm. talking about a radical shift in human consciousness mm. here that is largely not even on the radar yet of mainstream science around the world. Mm. Um, and I would urge you to try this at home. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> this is one the, thing you can try at home. <laughs> the, the best, the best way to to really see if this works or not is to give it a try. Mm. Uh, you, you know, I'll tweet a link to this. Uh, and posted on Facebook to this article that we're reading from here. So you can look up the research yourself. You can see what they're talking about. Try practicing gratitude. And in my own uh, personal experience, I've found that my capacity to, uh, I guess you could say, radiate gratitude has changed over time. And, and I can see through, again, through my own experience, or my own experience is that uh, my subtle energy configuration has changed over time. And I, I get a sense of... Uh, a deeper, and, and I, I mean deeper in terms of a larger field, mm. you know, growing around my body, and and that expansion of my own body's electromagnetic field, making it easier for me to feel and hold gratitude, and hold it in a deeper way than I have been in the past. Mm. So I, I really would um, encourage play with that, you know, uh, and treat it as play, treat it as fun, mm. and just see if there are any changes in mm. your life experience. Uh, and you might want to try focusing on one particular part of your life, one particular aspect that maybe you want to change, and then feeling grateful for that change as if the change has already occurred, uh, and expressing that gratitude uh, ahead of the fact of the change, and then just see mm. if the change happens perhaps more quickly than it might have otherwise. And of course, this might be easier to do in some aspects of your life than others, and I'm thinking now, this is a very uh, activist area that we live in here in Byron Shire, for those of you living overseas listening to us you can probably know about us and you can check us out anyway but a lot of people here are very active with regards to some of the big issues on the planet uh, climate change obviously the general poison of the, of the environment of the water supply everything that's going on here and so critis criticism and critique seems to be absolutely necessary we need to sort of would seem for many go up against uh whatever there is out there, take action, get out in the streets, make a noise. And all these things uh, have had and still do to some degree, no doubt, have their value. Can you do both? Can we actually practice gratitude and practice what we're talking about here, this sort of coherence of a deeper response to life and at the same time, you know, uh, take some sort of action against uh, the issues that we see on the planet? Is that possible? 
I'm seeing some evidence of that in in some of the coverage of the Extinction Rebellion Mm. protests where people are clearly uh, in the streets in a space of love. And it's it's interesting and important to reflect on that and also to reflect on other occasions where people are showing up as angry, disturbed, depressed, and imagine what kind of electromagnetic field they're radiating there and now how that is impacting people around them. And I, and I think one of the big examples of that has been uh, you know, coverage of, of key figures in the movement urging people to get angry and clearly yeah. expressing anxiety, depression, angry publicly over over the media, uh, which is is very, very, you know, you've got a question, okay, what signal is that sending out? How is that impacting people? And then we're hearing other reports of kids becoming depressed around the whole issue and those mm. sorts of things. So there's a there's a key and radical difference in the approach that we're talking about here of holding love and gratitude and and coming from an optimistic place of expecting the best mm. and expecting change for the best. And just to, to pin this down with a little bit more solid science, I'm just going to read some more from this Collective Evolution article. Uh, and it says, So far the researchers have discovered that the heart communicates with the brain and body in four ways. Neurological communication, in other words, through the nervous system, biophysical communication through mm. uh, what they're calling a, a pulse wave, biochemical communication through hormones or messenger molecules and energetic communication through electromagnetic fields and uh, quoting the researchers once again and I believe there's two paragraphs here uh, and at the bottom they're saying the source is Dr. Deborah Rosman the president of Quantum Intech who's clearly working with the HeartMath people Uh, and she says HeartMath researchers demonstrated that different patterns of heart activity which accompany different emotional states have distinct effects on cognitive and emotional function. During stress stress and negative emotions, when the heart rhythm pattern is erratic and disordered, the corresponding pattern of neural signals traveling from the heart to the brain inhibits higher cognitive functioning. This limits our ability to think clearly, to remember, learn, reason, and make effective decisions. In contrast, the more ordered and stable pattern of the heart's input to the brain during positive emotional states has the opposite effect. It facilitates cognitive function and reinforces positive feelings and emotional stability. Mm, Very good. And then further from the same article, it gets deeper. Every individual's energy affects the collective field environment. This means each person's emotions and intentions generate an energy that affects the field. A first step in diffusing societal stress in the global field is for each of us to take personal responsibility for our own energies. We can do this by increasing our personal coherence and raising our vibratory rate, which helps us become more conscious of the thoughts, feelings, and attitudes that we are feeding the field each day. We have a choice in every moment to take to heart the significance of intentionally managing our energies. This is the free will or local freedom that can create global cohesion. Uh, And, you know, if you're a a hardcore scientist out there, then you're probably thinking that last paragraph uh, is stretching things a little (laughs) bit. But there are very, very good indicators in the research that are uh, pointing us in this direction. And and it aligns with my personal experience, for sure. Yes, indeed. Uh, Someone's just written here, gratitude is never held. That is oxymoronic. Gratitude is given. Yeah. Well, that's true enough. I guess it's semantics, isn't it? It depends on what, what your definition of held is, and I think your definition of held is, is grasping or something like that, and, and mine is simply resonating. Uh, held is a resonant frequency in the way that you hold a musical note. And that's really interesting, just that, because it does take a certain practice and a consciousness and a certain uh, place of coherence within the self, which is what, exactly what you're talking about, yeah. to, to, to hold that, and yeah. then 
from holding that that is given naturally because it's present it, it is, in the field. Yeah, yeah. So, so mm. I'd suggest uh, there's a, a reimagining needed there of what that means, and, and you can use whatever word you like, but probably think about playing a musical note on a piano, mm. and when when that note rings out, you're holding that note in the same way that if you were singing to that note, you're holding a particular frequency. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And of course, criticism, which we're, we're not dabbling too much into today, into today critique is a permanent fear, uh, part of our culture now. It's what we do in politics and economics and religion and science and law and art, civil society. It's the way that uh, democracy and actually seems to work, but it's not working very well. So uh, we do need a different approach, clearly, because uh, the, the, structures are, the structures are failing. And yeah, you can and go up against them, but it doesn't seem to be making much difference at this point. And it's evolved that way naturally because we've moved out of the agricultural era where we were following some set of rules from a higher authority. And to break out of that, we had to become critical thinkers. We had to stop blindly accepting instructions from a higher authority and start to critically think for ourselves. And so that has become, for a very good reason, a natural part of the scientific industrial way of being human. And now we're moving uh, to a point beyond that where that used to work really, really well for us, but now the world is a much more complex place, and so simply thinking critically is not going to solve our problems. We need to find other ways. Yeah. Uh, and so what we've spoken about so far in the show, the, particularly the, in this uh, second half of the show, the, the second-tier hacks into the change process and we, uh, are, are tools that you can use, and you don't necessarily need to be at second-tier uh, you know, in, in your own uh, personal way of being to benefit from this because these these things are also tools that can accelerate your progression uh, into that second tier way of being by uh, understanding large-scale patterns and particularly patterns of, of change which then allow you what to anticipate, what to expect and, uh, you know, it's, 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 I guess you could, another analogy would be skiing down a mountain where in one point, uh, in, or in one example, you don't have a map, so you've got to be, uh, I guess, fearful of what might be around the corner. Um, but if you have a, na- a map and you know the path, it becomes much, much easier to ski you know, much more quickly and, and smoothly. Uh, and secondly, uh, the idea of gratitude as a strange attractor. Mm. So, and, and this, you know, in one way of looking at it, is really about working with the quantum field. It's working about taking. It's, it's talking about taking advantage of, of quantum mechanics and the way that they work. Uh, in that, we actually have an impact on what manifests around us. Around us, we have an impact on, and free choice to create things in our life, and through adjusting our own personal resonant frequency then uh, that becomes a much more pleasing and effective process and and uh, I will again uh, send out a link to this article that we've been talking about but it's it's quoting evidence research from the HeartMath Institute that shows that by holding a particular frequency uh, which aligns with feelings of love and gratitude uh, that then we can become much more influential not only on our own way of being and our own experience of life but on those around us and perhaps even at a global scale yeah. uh, you know the, the research is pointing in that direction indeed well that's it for the show thanks for your last text and thanks to Dudley one of our listeners thanks again guys once more you're right on target with what is important right now well let's hope so we're doing our best yeah. to present uh, slightly different uh, angles in a very complex time we'll be with you again next week you can always uh, check out our podcast Edited podcasts are available 
from uh, futuresense.it. That's easy if you haven't done it before. Just go through that uh, that website, and that's a portal to uh, to platforms, and you can basically get it on most platforms, podcast platforms anyway. Or at Future Sense Show is our Twitter account, and as Steve said, those articles uh, that we use will be, will be posted there. We'll be with you next week. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Nick, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Future Sense, a podcast edited from the radio show of the same name, broadcast on Bay FM in Byron Bay, Australia at bayfm.org. Future Sense is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. The future is here now. It's just not evenly distributed.